is the Pack Brothers Podcast. Here are your hosts, David and Michael. Greetings, salutations, and all that jazz from sunny, or not as sunny, Anderson, Indiana, the city not as beautiful. This is the Pack Brothers Podcast. I'm your co-host, David, and with me as always is my brother, Michael. Yes, hello everybody out there in podcast land. Thank you for listening. All right, today's episode is brought to you by Richard Harvey After Dark, which is a online Facebook-only show starring our cousin, Richard Harvey. It premieres sometime on Friday nights after his wife and children go to bed, around 10.30, let's say, somewhere between 10 and 10.30 anyway, sometimes a little later. Yep, and we think if you are a fan of this show, you'll be a fan of that show because it covers some of the same ground. Yep, yep, we definitely uh, chew some of the same dirt for sure. Uh, looking at snacks and action figures. and Yeah, his is definitely more focused on action figures. That's one of his passions. Also, one of the things that he talks about each week is a new snack he's never tried before. He tries live in front of his audience, and uh, sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's not so good, but it's always entertaining. Yes, definitely. So check that out. Just go to Facebook and search for fans of Richard Harvey After Dark, and if you see uh, Blue Devil, then you found the right place. Sounds right. All right, this is going to be an episode. I think it's just going to be one long one. We might break it up into two. If you're listening to it in about halfway, it just stops, then we broke it into two episodes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. All right, but we are going to talk about um, board games this uh, episode. Yep, board games is something that obviously we, we grew up playing. A lot of people grew up playing board games. I think you're either a board game person or you're not. Yeah, there's some people who just can't wait to break out the board games, and there are some people who, when you break out the board games, that's their cue to stand up and say, well, time to go. Yeah, same with cards. Cards aren't for everybody, but a lot of people like them. A lot of people don't. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, we could talk about some of the more common games like Monopoly and Scrabble and Life, but that's not fun. Yeah, you've heard of all of those. You may have heard of some of the ones we're going to talk about, but maybe I would say you definitely haven't heard of all of them. I would say it's a pretty safe bet. All right, but let's let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, we, are we going to number these ten to one, or oh, we can? Well, we uh, don't have to. We can. Maybe I'll do it in post production. If you don't hear anything, then I didn't. But if you do, then I did. That's the easy way to do it. Okay. So one, the first game I want to talk about is a game called Rebound. Okay, Rebound. So is that like a basketball game? Not exactly. No. Think of kind of curling. Or shuffleboard, but on a small scale. So if you imagine uh, a flat surface with uh, barriers on either side, like a rectangle, like a board, but at the north end of it, if you're facing it looking from the north, if you're standing at the south looking north, uh, there's two 45-degree angle uh, rubber bands at either side of each other. Okay, so they make like a, a V. Like if you're a little kid drawing a house, that the, the roof would be made of rubber bands. Okay. And uh, you want to bounce your, your, your puck or your little piece up the lane 
bounce to the side and then bounce down again and you'll land in a zone that has points to it, whether it be 10 or 20 or 50 or 100. So you want a good, you want a good rebound. Exactly. You want a good rebound. Exactly. You want to rebound off of those rubber bands and then slot, stay in one of those slots. And each person has several pucks that they can choose from. they got four. There's four red ones, four blue ones, and it's blue versus red. Okay. And I, I do remember this game. We actually had this game. And uh, I remember it was harder than it looked. It is. It's tough because, you know, you, it, it takes a lot of uh, skill to, to practice uh, because you, there's on the right side of it, there's a, a line you start behind. If you go over it, it's a foul. It doesn't count. But if you have to throw it up and bounce it around those rubber bands and then you'll land in the 10, the 20, the 50, or 100, if you go too far, there's a little ditch behind it and you'll get no points. Oh, so you definitely don't want that. I'm not, I'm not sure we respected the no-foul rule. I don't – probably not. We probably just said I get to go again. You can also bounce your opponent's piece around too. Oh, that could be very frustrating. Yeah, I'm sure it was for the opponent. But, uh, it, you know, this is not a complicated game. It, it takes, you know, easy to learn, hard to master <laughs> is, is the cliche. But it, it was something that I have a lot of fond memories for. I don't remember seeing anybody else own this game. It, I don't think it was a very common game. But – I think it was one of the, you know, just pick up and play uh, a fun game like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like shuffleboard or curling. Maybe not curling, but shuffleboard is a very simple a concept that's easy to, to pick up and play. Yeah, I, and I do remember enjoying this game quite a bit, actually. Yeah, so anyway, that's, that's a rebound. Um, and I'm sure that we'll put up information and pictures about these different games. If you want to go to the site Board Game Geek, that's a great website talk, oh, that talks about different board games. Just a treasure trove of uh, information about board games on that. Right, and both classic board games as well as new board games. It offers reviews and pictures and uh, lets users put their own reviews of games in. So there's a lot to see there. Um, we did some of the research for these games on that site. And uh, as well as our own memories. So, yeah, that's a rebound. Yes, definitely recommend it. Okay, now let's talk about a movie that was in the 70s. Uh, Steven Spielberg. And it took place in the water, or at least a lot of it took place on the water, in the water. Oh, dear. And, yes, I'm talking about Jaws. Do you remember the game Jaws? I do remember this was not a game. This is a game our sister owned. We didn't own this game. Right. This was one of the, you sneak into her room when she's not there and look under the bed and, hey, look, it's Jaws. Let's play Jaws. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I remember playing it, but I don't really remember how to play it. I just remember thinking it was neat because the the center piece obviously for the game is a giant plastic shark exactly a giant plastic shark with a big open mouth and what you do is you take several t tiny pieces they're either blue or white and you put them in the shark's mouth now these pieces this is from the 1975 ideal version of the game the pieces you put in were a shoe a gun a wagon wheel, a jug, a camera, a car tire, a hand, a walkie-talkie, an anchor, and a lantern 
those were your blue pieces. Now, your white pieces, you had a human bone, <laughs> a skull, and a fish bone. Okay, it seems like I remember that. And so you would throw them all in his mouth. And so the concept of this game is pretty simple. You fill it up, and then the players have a little kind of like a fishing pole with a hook on it. And you're trying to hook the junk out of the mouth. You've got this little plastic gaff that you're using, right? Right, right. But you don't want to let Jaws, Jaws snap shut on you. Because if you do, you're out. And so after all the junk is retrieved, whoever has the most wins. So do the bones count as junk? Yes. Anything in his mouth is junk. Okay. So what triggered the snapping jaw? You know... I, it's spring-loaded. It's like a dexterity game. So kind of think of um, operation. You know, you oh, don't okay. want to touch the sides. So it's got a spring. So you're trying to be careful. You don't want to, you know, trip that spring. So if you rattle Jaws, his jaw is too much. He's going to bite you. Right, right. Um, and I remember this game being really tough, uh, trying to get the stuff out of there. It was, you know... It wasn't as easy as the old carnival game where you, they give you a fishing pole and you put it over the uh, wall and you pull out something. You yeah. had to be really skillful with this. Yeah, I do remember, I think we were very young when we came across oh, this yes, game. Very. I, d- I just thought it was neat to have all these little junky pieces in this shark's mouth. I don't even remember playing it probably correctly. No, this is another one where we were too young. We didn't follow the rules. We just wanted to set up the shark. And, you know, have all the pieces and see his mouth, you know, shut. Because that's like the main draw. It's kind of like mousetrap. Nobody wants to play mousetrap the right way. They just want to see the mousetrap. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I think you see this variation on a theme on a lot of board games of be careful. Like you said, a dexterity game. You said operation. I think of other games like that where you have to be careful. Uh, even as something as simple as pickup sticks, you know, yep. that theme. Mm-hmm. Yep. And perfection is in another vein, but that's even more nerve-wracking. No, that's a very frustrating game for sure. <laughs> we won't be talking about that. No, no. Okay, what's next? Next game is the Smurf game, the 3D game. So, 3D. Yeah, so all all I mean by 3D <laughs> is that it's not a flat board with no... Uh, just just two-dimensional. It, it has some three-dimensional props on it. Think about the game Life, where you have certain buildings that pop into pegs okay, yep. and mm-hmm. give the board a little bit of character. This has uh, similar items. It has the, the mushroom village where the Smurfs live. It has some hills that the Smurfs have to walk around. It has a, a three-dimensional bridge over a, uh, a creek that the Smurfs have to go over the bridge. Uh, and also, the, the board has a, a very thin, uh, it, it's, it's a thicker board because under the board, there's this, a couple of rotating wheels that uh, can uh, have obstacles pop up for the, uh, the Smurfs to look out for. So the, the object of the game, and uh, I was, a full disclosure, a big fan of the Smurfs uh, during oh, the Oh, yeah, 80s. huge fan. Right, so uh, this is uh, one of those things where I had the Smurf arcade the Atari game and uh had little smurf like well they weren't legos they were some kind of 
Mega Block or yeah, I'm not sure what off. brand it was. It was a Lego knockoff. Right. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever got the Smurf license. Uh, but those were kind of neat anyway. But the the uh, so I had to obviously have this game, and so I'm sure we ended up asking for it and begging for it and getting it. And uh, you can be one of four Smurfs. You can be Smurfette or three random looking Smurfs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we weren't Smurfette. I don't think we were, no. But uh, these Smurfs are nondescript. I mean, maybe the one with his eyes closed is sleepy. <laughs> but there's no way really to tell. You can't, you know, they're not holding a package. They don't have a pencil behind their ear. They're just one of the Smurfs that are running around in the background. Exactly. One of the, the Smurfs that runs around in the background and just fills in. Um, and it might be clumsy. I don't know, but that I don't know. But anyway, the the uh, the the point of the game is you want to get four bushels of nuts, and grapes, and apples, and strawberries, and one of each. Take it back to the village, and you win. Oh, well, seems easy enough. Well, it is a kids' game, so it is. Um, but the issue is the, the the big sticking point are the rotating wheels that you can choose to move during your turn, and if you turn it a certain way, sometimes Azriel will pop up in a, a spot. Azriel being the the cat Asriel, of Gargamel. Yes, Azriel is the cat of Gargamel. Thank you. I assume everyone knows the Smurfs <laughs> when I'm talking about that, but maybe not. Uh, so Azriel is one of the big villains in the Smurfs, and he will take your food basket, and uh, you have to go back to the village if you don't have any food baskets. If you do have a food basket, you just have to give one to him. Mm. So uh, it's, you know, the, the, the strategy you learn pretty quickly is just to try to get as many baskets as possible. So if you have an extra, you can give one away and you're not that hurt. Mm. You can bribe him, essentially. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, it's pretty straightforward. I just probably liked it a lot and have a good memories of it because, uh, again, I was such a big fan of the Smurfs. And I liked the concept of the board being three-dimensional, the cover of the, the box. You can actually see Smurfs that you can recognize, Brainy and uh, Baker and Papa and Harmony and all these other Smurfs that, of course, uh, just, you know, on site if you're a Smurfs fan. It's interesting that they didn't choose to make more clear-cut characters in the game, but at least they recognized the value of putting it on the box so people would buy it. Oh, okay. Well, I do remember playing that game, though, and I do remember having fun. Yeah. And you know what? If you ever want to treat yourself, just go to YouTube and look up old Smurfs cartoon from the 80s and just give it a watch. Yeah, I didn't really see the new movies. I felt like they weren't for me, so that's fine. But I'm sure that they're good in their way. <laughs> okay. So, do you remember a very, I guess, somewhat better than average, but still not the best 80s sitcom called Family Ties. I do remember Family Ties. I feel as though it's one of those shows I probably didn't watch from the beginning, but one I caught into the middle of and stuck with it. It probably was being surrounded by shows I was more interested in, and I just stuck around for it. Exactly. Some of the surrounding shows were much more appealing. But um, they actually made a board game off of it. You know, this this is a game we didn't own. No, this is one where I was wandering through a uh, antique mall with my uh, parents one time, and I saw it on one of the shelves and thought to myself, this is crazy. What is this? How could you possibly make a game off of Family Ties? 
And uh, 10 bucks later, I found out. And uh, what did you find out? Well, it's not very fun. <laughs> what you're trying to do in this game is you're trying to surprise the rest of the family by having a family portrait taken. Why would you want to surprise the family to get a picture taken? Wouldn't you want to dress up and have that looking nice? Well, I, I agree. I'm not, but I didn't make the game. So to do that, you have to get all the family members together and have $100 in savings to pay the photographer. <laughs> Yikes. But getting everyone together... It sounds like work. Yeah, but getting everyone together isn't easy, and that's the problem. And you, cause you've got you got to have each person in your hand, which is basically the different cards of the uh, different family members. And then you have to have the the money. But there are some uh, some tricks to it, cause sometimes you'll get a card that tells you to. I mean, <laughs> they're all based off of the show, so even the cards are stupid. Like you have to watch the filming of a public TV documentary. Oh, wow. How exciting. Right. And then, you know, so one of the members may want that. Or if they, if you're holding a card for one of the members and they don't want to do that, then you have to discard that card. And you've also, those are your say cheese cards because you've got eight of each of the key characters and there's six of those. But then you've got the dreaded Skippy card, which you do not want to get. Oh, no. What's the Skippy card? Oh, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. And then you've got 40 don't blink cards, too, which uh, will make things happen. Oh, Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, so you start with 50 bucks and you pick one of the, your character tokens. There's a token for each of the uh, Keatons, and it's just based off of kind of the picture at the beginning. And then you roll the dice and you navigate the board. You have to deal with Wall Street or unions or shopping. Uh, <laughs> Very 80s. Yeah. You collect family members by drawing the Say Cheese cards, and the Don't Blink cards cause you to gain or lose money or family members. Here's a couple text is, or uh, descriptions that are on the cards. Uh, Elise can't be there to pose for the portrait. She has to go to her people who are against people who are against people meeting. Discard an Elise card. Oh, man. Was that supposed to be funny? <laughs> I hope not. Also, Mallory. To have everyone stay home, you tell them you were interviewed by a poll taker and will be on this evening news. Take any card in the discard pile, or gotcha, Mallory, the photographer is late, and heavens, you actually watch more than an hour of news. What? <laughs> I don't understand how that's a game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to tell you, man. But you also, the problem is, you can only have six cards in your hand. Okay, well, that's and, one for each. And you have, exactly. But, so one time you might draw a say cheese card and it's the dreaded Skippy card. Oh, no. Because it's impossible to win if you're holding a Skippy because you can only hold six cards, and there's six family members. So who's Skippy? Skippy was sort of the annoying neighbor on um, Family Ties. Think Urkel, but actually not popular. Okay, just popular to be unpopular? Right. You know, and we, I played this for a while just with me and Crypto, <laughs> and uh, it's frustratingly difficult to try to collect every family member. And your money doesn't really change much. It just stays pretty constant throughout. But you gain some, you lose some. But, you know, after a while, I just lost all interest in the game. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a very fun game. No, but I just included it in the list of because 
of the interestingness of it. They at least made an attempt. And you can tell from some of the flavors of the card text that, you know, they are trying to capture the spirit of the show. Do they still do that, I wonder? For modern television shows, do they get their own board game? I know, for example, The Office has a trivia game and things like that, but this seems to try to take it in a more strange direction. Yeah, I think what they do now more often than not is they uh, they try to license it to other games. So you'll have like Big Bang Theory Clue or, right. you know, SpongeBob Monopoly or something like that. They just take it and they slap it on existing games. So they're just taking the intellectual property and just overlaying it onto something. That That's my gut anyway. Well, that's probably a better idea because some of these games that we talk about took the intellectual property and just wasted it. <laughs> yes, very much so. Now, if you're talking about um, 80s properties from a movie, uh, you don't get much more uh, interesting uh, than, well, not. I'll go this one. I was going to talk about a different one, but I'll talk about this one first. Okay, go ahead. So this is a game we had. This was a, a game that came out in 1983 from a movie that came out in the 80s that I think they thought was going to be popular, but wasn't. And that game is Krull. Oh, yeah. I remember opening this as a present and kind of having a confused look on my face. Right, because I got the board game Krull, but I'd never seen the movie Krull. <laughs> or at least if I had, I put it out of my memory. No, I definitely had not seen the movie. So anyway, yeah, this was a Parker Brothers game. And uh, it w- look, the board looks interesting. The game, at least when you first open it up, looks intriguing. You've got this board shaped like uh, the main weapon in the movie, which was called the Glaive, which was kind of like this five-pointed knife that you could throw. And uh, you had these little plastic pieces. You had a little plastic man who was going to fight a little plastic monster. I love the little plastic monster piece. Right, yeah. The the monster piece looks really neat. Um, Just imagine this green, almost like a swamp thing if you're a fan (laughs) of DC Comics. Pretty much. And uh, a a little smaller figure that represented the hero of the movie, which I think was Liam Neeson. (laughs) Uh, I think so. At least he was in it. I don't know if he was a hero or not. Right. And then uh, you have these four tokens that just acted as your your piece moving around the game, and then a couple of different dice that I'll get into in a second. So the point of the game was you want to try to battle the beast to save Princess Lissa and uh, you're Prince Colwyn, or you're trying to be Prince Colwyn. That's the character you're playing, right? Yes. And uh, somehow everyone's Prince Colwyn <laughs> uh, to, to, when, when it's time to battle the beast. Uh, so you, what you have to do is there's these different cards. Some of the cards look like characters from the movie, and they go really deep. They don't get into the main characters. I mean, if anybody's in the background, they got a card on this game. It's yeah, like, I think they thought this movie was going to be the next Star Wars or something. I don't know. Maybe so, because they, you know they go anywhere from major characters like uh, the Cyclops and uh, to people like Quain, <laughs> Minnow, Ninog, uh, <laughs> Old. I mean, these, these obviously like a Middle Earth type fantasy adventure. Um, no knocking the people who made it. I just don't understand the point of a lot of it. But at any rate, uh, you, you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to gather a couple of cards. You want to have the Glaive card, 
which is the main weapon of the movie, what the whole board looks like. And you want to have the Black Fortress card, which is where the beast is. If you have both of those cards, then you can try to battle the beast. And basically, it's uh, at that point, you're, you're rolling the dice. You're trying to get closer to the princess. And if you get closest to the princess first, you win the game. And you know what? For not knowing anything about this movie, I played this game quite a bit. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I think mainly it was just the little plastic figures that intrigued me, plus the outlook of the board. I'm sure I didn't play it right because there's a lot of battle between the different people and the power settings that they have and seeking different cards. I think we just kind of drew them randomly and traded them until we had the cards we needed. But, uh, and I think that's true with most kids. They'll kind of make up their own rules if they can't understand it. Uh, but uh, overall, I'd say the game is okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're a fan of the movie Krull, first of all, I don't know why. But number two, maybe this is something that would interest you. Could be. Possibly. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, and this kind of brings me back to my original point, uh, to do movies and all that, still get video board games. I know, like, for example, when Green Lantern came out, they, they had some weird games that came out for that. I've got one. It's kind of like a a guess who almost or a mastermind where you have to guess a certain order of different characters mm -hmm. in this little tower that wasn't in the movie. Uh, so it's weird what they do with the intellectual property. Sometimes I think it's better, like you said, when they overlay it as opposed to trying to make their own game because that's not easy. Yeah, it's not hard. You know, it's really hard to make a game that's fun and enjoyable and has a replay value and stuff like that. <laughs> now, when talking about this next one, when you hear it, it doesn't sound like the most fun game. This was a VCR board game. So you would put the tape into your VCR. And kids, this was what we used to watch movies on. Uh, you would get a VCR tape, and you'd load it into the VCR player, and you hit the play button, and the movie would play. Yeah, VCR is Video Cassette Recorder. There you go. <laughs> but the name of this game was Commercial Crazies. And the object of the game, it does not sound exciting at all. You watch a commercial, and then you answer a question regarding some minor detail in the commercial you just saw. And if you answer three questions correctly, you win. <laughs> that does not sound good. <laughs> it just sounds like, oh, my goodness. I fast forward through commercials. I don't watch commercials when I'm watching TV. Or I watch something like Netflix where there are no commercials. Why would I choose to watch, to play a game where I watch commercials? Well, that's the 80s for you. <laughs> yes, it is. So certainly the commercials had to be interesting, right? And they were. They were um, some of the best known commercials from the 80s. Uh, made by a uh, company, uh, Settlemeyer, the guy, that's his name. And he brought us such classics as Where's the Beef and the uh, fast-talking FedEx commercials. And the, I believe there were some Dunkin' Donuts commercials as well. Was that John Machida? Was that the guy? Yeah, John Machida was the fast-talking guy. Mm -hmm. He was also the Micro Machines guy, if you'll remember that guy who would speak really quickly. Yep, jo Joe Settlemeyer, uh, who made the commercials, and he directed just a lot of uh, commercials. They were very interesting. They grabbed your attention, and they were really good at hammering home 
sort of what they were selling. So, you know, Burger King was making fun of McDonald's not having very much beef on their patties. So you had this old lady saying, where's the beef? And that was the, Wendy's, right? Yeah, well, Wendy's, that's right, Wendy's. Wendy's was after, uh, they're always, you know, McDonald's never punches down. So I always get <laughs> Burger, <laughs> Burger King or uh, Wendy's mixed up. So, yes, it was Wendy's uh, saying, you know, they didn't put enough beef on their burgers, I guess. So they were trying to make that point. But he, he got a lot of awards. I mean, he got clear awards, which is like the advertising awards, uh, Con Golden Lion Awards. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame of advertising. But what they did was, and it was some of these commercials, you would watch them, and you would just be trying to enjoy them. And then you'd get, like, some really obscure questions. So if you weren't paying super-duper attention to the commercial, there's no way you would have been able to answer what the question was. Yeah, I don't recall specifically what the questions were. Um, I do remember that the game was more challenging. Honestly, I remember more just, I'm bored. I think I'll just watch the commercial Crazy's tape because the the, uh, the commercials were entertaining. Yeah, I do, I do remember that. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. But, you know, there would be, like there was, for example, this was one of them, uh, like there's a Southern Bear, Southern Bell commercial off of like some um, phone ad, and they would say, "How many ceiling fans are in the restaurant?" Oh my gosh! Or in the Subaru commercial, how many people handle this stuff? Like handle this item? Oh dear. So, <laughs> or I think there was one where there was like some sort of fashion show, and there was like, was the second or the third person carrying the beach ball or something like that? It would just be very, very specific stuff. So. You couldn't really enjoy the commercial. You had to, like, really <laughs> study it. Yeah, that does, that does seem to defeat the purpose. But that, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, there was a sort of a different thread. People talking about the game. And a lot of people said, yeah, the tape was amazing. We would watch it sometimes. We played the actual game, like, once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I know how they feel. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so the next one I wanted to talk about was, now this is an 80s movie that was iconic, very classic, and had a lot of games and merchandise uh, circling around it, and that was E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Wow, this is our second Spielberg <laughs> board yeah, game. that's true. <laughs> you know, did they ever make a Goonies game? That seems like a huge mistake if they didn't. Hmm. I'll have to do a bit of homework. Okay, but and that's apropos of nothing. I was just thinking about that. But anyway, um, E.T., the Extraterrestrial. This was a movie I remember seeing in the theater, one of the first ones I believe I ever saw, and I thought it was really neat. And uh, it had a lot of merchandise around it, stuffed ETs and ET. We had an ET glow-in-the-dark paint kit that was interesting um, because it, the paint would glow in the dark, which was pretty cool. I think I think I actually spilled a little bit of that. Yeah, know, I do remember that. Uh, bed sheet. <laughs> Even though I wash it, it will still like glow sometimes. Right, that bedspread. I remember that little spot would glow. But anyway, this was a board game that we'd had, and this is another Parker Brothers joint, so it's got little plastic pieces in it, and one of the plastic pieces is E.T., and another plastic piece is his little ghost costume that you could put over E.T., and it actually fit on top of him. The other pieces involved in this game was there was one die, so it either said one, two, or three, and there were uh, the, the pieces that make up a jigsaw puzzle. Because one of the uh, plots of the game is you wanted to build E.T.'s communicator so he could summon his spaceship. 
and it was a little eight-piece jigsaw puzzle that actually put together it was like as the shape of a circle. So that I mean that was like, I think a, a really good way to address that issue of building the device by having you put it together piece by piece like a puzzle. Right. You don't really want to have kids breaking out a circular saw and a speak and spell and <laughs> a, you know things like that. Yeah, definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, umbrella. But anyway, the uh, the point of the game was to tr try to help E.T. That's why there's only one piece. Everybody's E.T., and you're just helping E.T. get home. One of the more interesting things about this was uh, the board, again, was shaped like a circle, and in the center of the board was where you could build E.T. spaceship. And they actually gave you... Okay, it was kind of flimsy, but it was cardboard where you could build a decent-looking spaceship with a ramp that E.T. could walk up when he got to the end of the game. Yeah, very reminiscent of the one in the movie. Exactly. So it was kind of neat. They put some thought into at least the detail, the look of the game. Um, if only they'd put more thought into the, the plot of the game. Uh, because the point of the game is just to collect these little chips. They call them chips, but they're obviously Reese's Pieces. They just didn't get the... the uh, Trademark, yes, because they're, they're they're colored red and yellow and brown. They're just Reese's pieces. That's all there's truth to it. And it was, I remember thinking, you know, because you have to have the pieces for certain things uh, to be able to, you know, because sometimes you lose the pieces, sometimes you get the pieces, um, and you had to have so many as you went on through. Because you could g come to spaces like, oh, we landed on Gertie, so you have to you know, lose two, or, oh, no, you landed on this where people are shining flashlights and trying to see you, so you have to lose another one. Exactly. You So you wanted to try to have as many pieces as possible because at the end of the game, you just counted up the pieces, and the, the number of pieces is whoever, quote, helped E.T. the most. <laughs> and if there's a tie, you both win because you both helped E.T. the most. There you go. I'm, I'm guessing we probably tied a lot. I, I'm thinking we did. We're not very competitive game players. But it, they did try to make, I don't know, some psychic power connection with the game. Because I remember that. It, because you would roll the dice. Before you rolled it, you were supposed to say what number you wanted. And if you got your number, you got to go again. You got an extra turn. And uh, there were times when you had to make E.T. fly. And you did that by having someone, or you held up a card above your head where you couldn't see it. And on one side it says Elliot, on one side it says E.T. And if you guess right... You help you help E.T. fly. So that that is a little bit of sort of a mystical element to it. <laughs> right. We're adding at least some randomness. Right. The point of the costume was there's a lot of spaces where the adults are looking for E.T. If he's wearing the costume, he's safe. They they don't see him somehow. But uh, you have to begin the turn deciding if you want to put his costume on. If you have a costume card, if not. You have to just risk it and hope you can get a costume card later. So it's kind of weird. There's a little bit of strategy. It's a little complex for a small kid's game, but it's better than Kroll. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can say that about a lot of things. Yeah, that's it's just better that's than my, Kroll. That's my general compliment. The best I can do is, well, it's better than Kroll. <laughs> All right. Now we are into uh, the top three now. So you know these got to be good, right? Maybe you're thinking, why didn't you just do these three and forget about the other ones? But hey, you went, you stuck with us this long. Stick with us a little longer. Uh, I want to talk about Mystery Mansion. This was 
I really fun game. I remember the game a lot. We played this game a lot growing up. Yeah, I think this is one of the more interestingly, from a visual standpoint, games that, that was ever made. And what's cool about it is there are 32 rooms in this mystery mansion, and there are eight ground floor rooms, then some on the second floor and the third floor, and a fourth floor, or maybe you can think of it as a basement for a second, third floor. That's probably the better way to think about it. That's how I thought about it. There was like a basement level, a first floor level, a second floor level, and a third floor level. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly how it is. And what you do is you build the mansion one room at a time. You start off with like steps leading up to the uh, first floor like foyer. Mm-hmm. And then you've got doors and when you open the door, you can choose what room you want to put there. You can either put stairs down to the basement or stairs up to another room. And so they had 32 different rooms, which, you know, I, I loved all the different rooms that they had. Because, you know, I grew up in a trailer, which had like five rooms. So anything, you know, if I had 10 rooms, it's a mansion to me. But, heck, 32 rooms? Oh, my goodness. I did like how you kind of built it as you went, as if you were exploring the mansion. You didn't really know where you were going. Um, yeah, because there, there's a die that you rolled that lets you know what room was going to be next or what type of room anyway. Right, right. And there were the rooms were designed, as I recall, where you, you had to kind of line them up in a certain way. The doors wouldn't always fit and right. look right. And for some reason, that was very important to me that the doors lined up. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. We were very... Uh, a little detail-oriented about that. But every one of the rooms have objects. Now, they were just pictures. You couldn't really look at the objects. But there were places where you could search for things, like under a bed or um, behind a plant or something like that, to try to get possible hiding places for clues and find the whereabouts of the treasure. So you had these search cards that you could use to you know, look at things. And you could add rooms that you suspect contain objects that match the cards in your hand. So if you've got a handful of, like, plants, maybe you want to add, like, some, you know, conservatory or garden room that's got a lot of plants in it. Because that will let you look for stuff when you do that. Or if you have, like, a, a it was looking under a bed, you want to add as many bedrooms. Ex- exactly. Um so if you have a search card that matches an object in the same room, you get to uh, play that card, and then you get to draw a clue card. Now, the clue might be a treasure chest, or it could be a key to a treasure chest, or it could be a secret passage that lets you go to another room, or it could just be a cobweb or dust. So what you're wanting to do is there were like seven different treasure chests, mm-hmm. and there were seven, seven different keys. Now, the treasure chests were actually, you know, tokens you could get and put in the game. And they were openable, right? Yeah, you could open them up because five contained cobwebs and two contained treasures. So, for example, if you've got treasure chest four and you've got key four, then you want to start rolling and get out of the mansion. Because once you're out of the mansion, you can open up the treasure chest to see if you have gold or not. And, And if you find the treasure... The first one to find the treasure wins. I do remember thinking that the treasure chests were neat. Kind of. Do you remember when you would go to the dentist and sometimes you'd get a little treasure chest with your tooth in it? Or maybe that was just around where we grew up. <laughs> it sounds creepy, but no, I think there were quite a few places that did that. Especially if you had like a cap. 
uh, something like that. But anyway, this is something that I thought was one of the neater aspects of the game. And the little inserts could change. You know, number treasure chest number four wouldn't always be the treasure. You could kind of make that random. Yep, yep. And uh, I'm, what I remember about that was just, you know, building the different rooms and building the mansion and just thinking, you know, oh, would it be cool to find this mansion and, you know, walk through these rooms? Because I would, I would kind of put myself into the game and, like, all right, I'm walking in here and there's, I can hear the creaking of the steps as I go up and I'm looking around at stuff. So I was able to immerse myself into it for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that the... The, the fact that the rooms themselves, like the third floor rooms were kind of stacked cardboard, so they were taller than the second floor rooms, and the stairs would actually line up to the, the height that you were going up to or down to. Exactly. Helped to, to help to make the yeah, happen. Yeah, so if I'm going up from the first floor down to the basement level, you've got to go the stairs down, and then it's a flat card. So it was pretty cool from that standpoint. Yeah, I, a lot of good memories about that game. That was cool. I don't know how well it would hold up today if, if kids would find that interesting or if even I would find that interesting at this point. Yeah, they actually made a, a version in the 90s that was an electronic version. It had a battery-powered handheld talking electronic organizer to guide the gameplay. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. More on that or something like that later. Okay, so um, you'd mentioned commercial crazies earlier. And along that same vein, I want to talk about one of the first, if not the first, VCR games, and that was Clue. Oh, Clue. Yeah, Clue, the VCR mystery game. So when you think of the regular board game Clue, you've got your six characters, you've got about nine different rooms and six different weapons, and you're trying to figure out who murdered who with what in what room. Exactly, and this was the whole conceit behind the VCR game Clue, except there were a little bit of uh, differences. Obviously, there weren't dice, and you had to use your VCR, and it had some similarity to commercial crazies in the fact that you had to pay attention to what was going on on the screen. I mean, you had to watch those people like a hawk. Right, and uh, I will say that the, the acting and the story isn't the best. It's very campy. Uh, but the reason that this came about is Parker Brothers saw a gap in the market. This was in the mid-'80s, and this is right after Atari crashed. And this is really before the Nintendo Entertainment System took over. So really the, the main device that everybody had in their living room was not a video game. It was a VCR. And so... The Parker Brothers, or some people at Parker Brothers, saw that gap in the market and thought, we can do this. Yeah, let's take advantage of this technology. Can we do more than just watch movies or TV shows with this? Can we turn this into a game? Right, and they did, and that's what they did with the Clue VCR mystery game. Now, there's an interesting documentary you can watch on YouTube that talks about the, the filming of this. And... Okay, if you're a fan of the game and you've played <laughs> it, it's interesting. Yeah. If not, it's probably as mind-numbing as this podcast has been. <laughs> but uh, it, it's somewhat interesting. It's very campy. The whole thing is hosted by the butler whose name is Did It. So the butler did it. Exactly. I, I'm sure you're just slapping your knees. Pause <laughs> the podcast, get all those laughs out of your system, and then hit play when you're done. <laughs> we don't want you to miss a moment of this uh, 
treasure. Right. So it had the, the main six characters that you remember from the regular version of Clue or Cluedo, if you're from Britain. Miss Scarlet, Mrs. Peacock, Miss White, and Professor Plum, and Colonel Mustard, and Mr. Green. But it added four new characters. It added Miss Peach, which was like a southern belle. His, his, and if you watch the movie, her name, or the, the, cart, the, the, the uh, why did I say cartoon? <laughs> <That'd> <laughs> Probably because they, they almost act like cartoon characters. Yeah, maybe so. But the, uh, the documentary, if you watch the, the VCR tape, her name is Melba, which is pretty corny. Uh, Monsieur Brunette and Madame Rose and Sergeant Gray. I do like that they kept the uh, idea of the colors for the names. Yeah, I, I do think that's interesting. Uh, and if you watch the tape, it actually ties in relationship to the characters that you wouldn't think were, were part of the game. But uh, you, they did make a later version of Clue called Clue Master Detective, in which uh, they had all those characters. They, had, they added... Madame Rose, Miss Peach, Sergeant Gray, and Monsieur Brunette oh. to to the mansion, as well as new rooms. Who knew? Well, not me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's something I saw during my research. But this is interesting. That the whole thing, it, it's shot on tape. It wasn't shot on film, uh, and uh, it, they shot in about five weeks, uh, based on the research that I did. Yeah, the production values aren't like stellar. It's one camera. It's not well lit at all in spots. You could tell they were kind of making it up as they went. They had a loose script, but sometimes they would just add things, and I think they really encouraged the actors to make it their own. But part of the problem was, you know, they had this game created, and they had clue cards that you had to look at, and in kind of like commercial crazies, you had to watch what was going on. Like, sometimes Mrs. Peacock would be holding a knife, and she would hand it off to Monsieur Brunette, and so then you'd have to, you know, get a clue to say the person, the people who held the knife in this scene did not kill anyone. So, all right, now I can eliminate Monsieur Brunette and Mrs. Peacock from my list of suspects. Right. The way that they tried to make it similar to the clue game was there were cards that you could pick up that had different information about the uh the movie, the, the scene you were watching. And at the end of the scene, you would stop the tape and you would do a round of interrogations because you were trying to figure out who each person was, was playing as a character, uh, who, where the murderers, who the murderers were, who was murdered, in what room and with what weapon. And there was a finite number of games you could play with this. I think you could play, I think, 18 games total. Yeah, that was it, 18 games and you were done. You couldn't play any more Clue unless you, unless you forgot, which you probably did. And some games were easier than others. Some games were, okay, there's been three murders, three different murderers, three different rooms, three different weapons. Go for it. And then later ones, there were like, there were five different murderers and two people killed two other people. And one person who killed someone ended up being killed. And there were four different rooms. One room, one room was used twice, and just it got very complicated. It was. And I remember playing this with a mom, and her being confused because somebody would be walking by, and she had wrote down on her pad that that person was dead, and so she didn't understand how can they still be living? They're walking around. Uh, the dead. How can they be dead? They're walking around. And I had to explain to her. 
really, the people living and dying are only on the pad. The tape never changes. Nobody really dies on the <laughs> tape. That would be too graphic for a kid's game. Yeah, um, but it, I mean, it was enjoyable. It's very complicated, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah, it was actually so popular. They sold a lot of these. Uh, so much so they made a sequel in 88 called Clue 2, Murder in Disguise. And uh, that's when they go international, although they don't really go international. <laughs> it was filmed in New England just like the first one was with local actors. Yeah, they go to Rhode Island and they decorate it to look like, you know, Morocco and, and Tangiers and yeah. Paris. So, yeah, it was an interesting game. It's one of those things I think you had to be there. If you were too early, Atari took your uh, interests. And if you were too late, other video games did. But this was kind of you had to be in the right place at the right time to really enjoy these games. All right, so this brings us to number one, which is uh, Stop Thief. Oh, maybe one of the maybe the best 1980s game. Well, actually, 1979 when it was when oh, it came out. But it feels like the 80s to me. Yeah, it is. It's it's a child of the 80s. Let's be honest. Uh, it's close enough. It was probably Christmas '79. Uh, I played this game the first time in Indiana, at my aunt. Shirley's house and just fell in love with it. Yeah, thought it was so neat. It's a uh, electronic board game. It was put out by Parker Brothers. Well, Parker Brothers, they were the kings back then, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they did uh, just about over half the games on this list are Parker Brothers games, I'm pretty sure. But you, each player is playing as a detective and you're tracking an invisible thief. And the game is played out on a board with two dice, and you've got plastic detective pieces to represent your position on the board. You've got a uh, the most important piece is the crime scanner, which is the electronic information of the different uh, of how you would track the thief through the house. Yeah, there is no stop thief without the crime scanner. No, the crime scanner is what makes it because. When you're playing the game, you can hear where the thief is by looking at and listening to the crime scanner. So let me see if I can pull up the crime scanner here so you can see, uh, so you can hear what's going on. All right. So let me get the sound up where you can actually hear it. All right, you hear that? That was a crime being committed. So once you heard that, you knew that a crime was being committed. And then there were other clues that you could hear that will let you know what was going on in the game. Because sometimes the you know thief would take a footstep. And then if he took a footstep, you would hear... It's supposed to be sound like somebody taking a footstep. It kind of does, a little bit. Or they would open a door. It's a very creaky door. Or sometimes they would break a window. Or they would start running down the street. Which is, I guess, running down the street. And then you've got, uh, he would get the subway. He would get on the subway too, right? Yeah, he'd get on the subway, then he'd run down the street. And uh, so you, if you could see this, you know, the board, and you saw, like, it said one crime. That means he's in building one, and he committed the crime there, and he's on a crime space. Yeah, there were four buildings where he could be committing the crimes. There's actually one spot 
on the streets. He could also commit a crime. He could rob a newsstand, but he never starts out there. He always starts in one of the buildings. There were certain rules that controlled the the criminal. Right. There's there's a furs uh, building, a jewelry place, an antique place, and a bank. And there was four streets between them in the the buildings, numbered five, six, seven, and eight. And inside of the buildings were alternating squares with two-digit numbers that indicated where that thief was. And four or five of them were the red spaces, which were the crime spaces. And so by following the sounds you heard and by matching them up to the board spaces, you could kind of see in your mind and follow the path of the criminal through the building or out to the street. And there were several different uh, uh, wanted posters in the game of some, you know, hands-off pickpocket. or right. Bunny and Claude. Or the brain, which was the mystery person. I always wanted to catch the brain when I was young. I thought it was just, ooh, it's mysterious. Yeah, it was just a pair of eyes on the wanted posters, I recall. Yeah. So, but uh, it's a very simple game, but it just has a lot of replay value. It is. I think just part of it is learning how to play the game, how to follow the clues that the crime scanner gives you to track the thief down. It's, it's a good feeling. Um, the detective cards that you can play to add a little bit of more nuance to the game about getting a tip to figure out yeah. exactly where they or are. moving anywhere. Right, or getting stealing money from a different detective because it's all about money, how yeah. you win the game. You have to have 2500 bucks, I think, to win. Right, which usually, if you catch three criminals, if you haven't been raided too much by your fellow detectives, that's enough for at most. Uh, so it's interesting. There's, I think there's about 10 criminals. Yeah, I think there are. Uh, let me see if I can catch him. Let me see if I can find out where he is. I'll, uh, I'll get a tip. That's the tip sound. All right. I'm going to try to arrest him. I'll see if I arrest him or if he runs away. So to arrest him, you have to put in the number that corresponds to the spot on the board where he is, and you'll hear the arrest being made here. Okay. Oh, the, you'll hear sirens. You'll hear gunshots, which is kind of violent. Uh, and that's the sound of a successful arrest. Now, it's not always successful. Yeah, sometimes you'll get a uh, electronic, nah, 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 which does add a little bit of luck to the game as well because you're not guaranteed to win even if you get the spot where the thief is exactly right. You might still have to, he might still get away. And if he gets away, then he'll do like five or six different actions in a row because he's actively running away from you. Although he might just commit more crimes, such as the uh, the heart of a criminal. They just have to keep uh, uh, committing crimes. All right, that's all the games. We made it through. We did. Hopefully that was enjoyable. Uh, trip down memory lane. Maybe that spurred you on to buy some of these. Maybe it's brought up some memories that you might have had. And... Uh, I certainly hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed thinking about these games again and sharing my uh, impressions. Yeah, it was a a nice trip down memory lane. It kind of spurs me to want to play some of these sometimes just to see the interestingness of it. Um, I think it is a fun thing to do to kind of break away from some of the more traditional games and go off the beaten path and get some of these uh, less 
uh, well-known ones. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Monopoly. It's tons of fun, but there's different variants of Monopoly that are also fun. But there's also games way off the beaten path, like Machi Koro, that a lot of people haven't heard of, but is a very fun game uh, that you can use to play cards to build a city. Yeah, Dice City or Dice Town in yeah. Japanese. Right, yeah. So uh, don't just uh, walk by those games and think, well, that's not Trivial Pursuit or that's not Life or Sorry. I'm not going to play that. It might be more fun than you think. Yep. All right. Uh, boy, if we've gone so long. I think I'm going to save some of this food news for another time. Um, just know that there's a lot of good stuff out <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll put it up on the side or we'll just start trickling these out a little bit more frequently. Yeah, maybe different you know, Facebook posts. There's certainly enough to put up something practically every day. I just have to do it. That's the key. Yep. Find the time and do it. All right. Uh, but uh, Crypto is scratching out the door. He's been scratching for a while now, so I better go get him. Uh, it's time to go. If you enjoyed the podcast, you want to help us out, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a five-star review. It's a huge help. Our website is up and running. Uh, hopefully, we'll have more content up soon. I think I say that about every time. Don't know that it actually happens, but hey. You mean well. Best laid plans. Um, if you have a question, you can send us an email at packbrospodcast, which is P-A-C-K-B-R-O-S podcast, at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at packbrospodcast or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash packbrospodcast. Yep, absolutely. So thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you, and we will uh, see you next time or talk to you next time. Bye.